Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, now we want to turn our attention to God's Word. And we've been in this series in Exodus. We're looking at the book of Exodus. And uh, we're, we're navigating through the different components of the story. And, and today we're going to arrive at probably a very familiar one to you. So to do that, but I want to ask a, a question to begin. Have you ever had the moment where you just knew you were right have you had that moment where you just knew you were right about something? Like, oh no, I've, I know exactly what the answer is here. I know exactly. It's like, oh honey, I remember. I put away the dishes last time. No, I remember that I put away the dishes. Like, this kind of moment where you just know you're right. What kind of spirit or posture does that bring with it? Maybe you're actually right, but maybe you're not. But what... It, what does that bring out of us? It's kind of that like resolve, right? Like a little bit of that stubbornness, like, oh, no, no, I, I know. I know I'm right. And, and, and you're digging in your heels and, and, you know, like that, it kind of stirs that sort of posture, right? I, I'm sure you're, you're tracking. You probably even got one in your mind right now, huh? Did it happen this morning by chance? Like, <laughs> just curious. Like, but yeah, like we've had these moments where we just, we know we're right. Well, we're in this series, and we're looking at the story of Exodus as a way to understand our story. Because the story of Exodus is a mirror. It's about humanity. It's about how we are as human beings, and it shows us, like, our nature, the way that we are. But more than that, it shows us about who God is. It shows us how he works with human beings, how he interacts with us. And it shows us how he chooses to work through us. And so if you've been with us, then you've kind of tracked with the story so far. But you know that we've been looking at this story as a way to understand more of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus. The story of Jesus. The message of salvation. Because what we see in Exodus is the foundation. It's, it's the, the elements of the gospel before the gospel happened. So like week one, we, we looked at how like... We're, we're slaves. We're, we're like the Israelites spiritually. They were, they're enslaved. They're in uh, physical slavery. But we, in the same way, are, are spiritual slaves. And God raises up a deliverer, Moses. Jesus would become a new Moses. And, and we're tracing the story so we can understand what the gospel is all about. Well, today, we get to a familiar story that's going to pick up what we started in week one. Now, week one, we surfaced this question or this tension between the way of sin represented in Pharaoh, the way of evil, and the way of God. And I think the book of Exodus is wanting us to wrestle which way will we choose. Today, we get the reason why we should choose the way of God. Exodus is going to show us why we should choose this way. It's going to show us, here's the reason why this way is better. It's going to show us that. It's going to open that question up just a little bit more and cause us to wrestle, like, which way will we choose? Because we should choose this one. It's going to suggest that. Today, we're looking at the story of the ten plagues. 
Now, you probably are familiar with that. You maybe have seen a movie or two about it and, and whatever, but like this is a pretty familiar story. But what we're going to see is this answer, like here's why you should choose the way of God. And it starts with a key idea that God wants everybody to know. And so it comes in chapter 7, verse 5. I'm going to throw it up here. here. Here's how like this whole thing is framed. And the Egyptians, this is God speaking, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. They will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. What God is about to do is he's going to rescue his people. He's going to bring them out of the slavery. But the purpose is that they will know who I am. That's what God's saying. It's about identity. We talked about the second week, like who is God and who are we? Like this is about identity and they're going to know this is who I am. So that's the starting place for all of this. So we're going to dive in. We're going to look at, at the story overall of, of Exodus 7 through 10. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. But we're going to zoom in on one in particular just so that we can kind of get that as a representation of the whole. So quick recap. Here's where we are. Week one, we see the Israelites. They're in Egypt. They're enslaved. And Pharaoh is oppressing them. And he's brutal. He's leveraging them to build and to, to do his will and, and what he's, he's desiring to do. But to the point where if they're pushing back, if he gets threatened, he starts killing them. And what God does is he hears out their cry, the Israelites' cry, and he raises up a deliverer, Moses. But Moses doesn't really trust God yet. And we see that in chapter 3. God calls him, like, you're going to go to Pharaoh. He's like, don't send me. But he goes. He eventually goes. And we've, we saw last week how Moses and Aaron, Aaron is Moses' brother, they go to Pharaoh and say, God wants his people to be set free. Let them go. And Pharaoh's like, who's this God? And he doubles down. He makes things worse for them. And, it, and it's like there was a glimmer of hope, but now he's trying to snuff it out. And so the Israelites, they're having to trust that God is going to do what he's promised to do. Well, now we get to see him bring that to fruition. So, we're going to pick up um, looking at the 10 plagues. Now I'm going to throw up here. Here's the list of 10. Maybe you've never seen these all kind of laid out, but here's the 10 plagues. Now we've heard them called plagues. I wonder if the word sign is actually better because some of these are, are plagues in the like typical sense we might think of them, but what they are all representing is a sign of God's power of his authority of who he is. So these are 10 signs that God performs to rescue his people. And so here they are. Here's the 10. And we're going to look at kind of the, the nine today through the lens of one. And then next week, we're going to spend a little bit of time on, on the 10th one, which is the firstborn or Passover. And that's got a so, there's so much richness there that we're going to spend a little more time on that one. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at number four, the flies. And this one just has a lot of the elements that all the others have that can help us understand what each plague is kind of doing, what each sign is doing. So we're going to look at that one. So I invite you, if you would, turn to chapter 8, Exodus chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 32. Now, just a quick, while you're turning there, if you also have your phone out, 
and you're kind of reading the Bible there, I encourage you actually to go to our website as well. We have sermon notes. I don't know if you knew this. We've talked about it the last few weeks. But you can go on our homepage, and the third like button that you can push after you scroll, there's a sermon notes, and it pulls up an outline of all that we're talking about today. So you can take notes right there and then send that to yourself. So I just wanted to make sure you knew that was a thing. So if you've got your device, you can go to our website, newlifeonline.org. And then hit the third button that says sermon notes. It'll take you right there. And so you can kind of flip between the Bible and the sermon notes. So Exodus chapter 8, looking at verses 20 through 32. So verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river. And say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go. So that they may worship me. Now here, we get the purpose. God is not just saying like, let them go just because I want you to let them go. It's not for freedom's sake. But so that they may worship me. There's purpose here, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But here, he's saying to Pharaoh, like, let my people go. I have purpose here that they may worship me. So keep reading. If you do not let my people go, notice, If you do not, conditional, you can let them go. Please do that. But if you don't, if you don't let them go, then what happens? I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials and on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. Now, if I could just comment here, I'm going to tell you a quick story. So when we first moved here, um, we were looking for a house and didn't quite find one in in the right timing. So we ended up staying in a rental for like six weeks, which was awesome. And this was in Metamora. Well, one of the things that happened, it was summertime, and uh, we moved in and all that kind of stuff. And and as we were just kind of going through days, we noticed like, man, there's a lot of flies. And we're like, oh, maybe we've just been leaving the window open. And so we tried to keep it closed, but they just kept like more and more of them. We're like, what's going on here? One day, I go into the basement. And I find a wall that's black, covered in flies. I kid you not, they're breeding all over this thing. I mean, and and it's just moving, and I'm like, this is gross. So I share that with you. Sorry if I grossed you out. But like this, oh, it gets awful. Now, thankfully, our landlord came right over, took care of all of them in an instant. It was great. But like when, when flies infest... It's not just like, okay, a couple of them. Like, this is a full-on colony, like, breeding. I was like, in your house, they're everywhere. It's crawling up. It said the the ground was covered with them. I know what that's like, and it's not cool. Like, this is icky. So this is what they're dealing with. Like, this is what he's talking about. Like, flies everywhere, not just in, like, one little section of your house. Everywhere. So picture that. But, verse 22. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make distinction between my people and your people. See, what he's saying here is like, I'm going to send flies, but guess what? They're not going to be everywhere. They're only going to be to the Egyptians. I'm going to make distinction between my people and the Egyptians. I'm going to spare the Israelites from suffering under this. 
so that you know I am in this land. So what God's doing is he's saying, like, I'm going I'm to make distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. They're not going to experience the same kind of thing. And that is a demonstration of my power, my authority, and something else that we'll get to. So right here, he's making distinction. He's, he's saying, like, I'm going I'm to show you who I am. This sign will occur tomorrow. Verse 24, and the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. It's ruined. Verse 25. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now, Pray for me. Verse 29. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. See, right here, he's saying like, okay, pray for me. All right, we'll pray for you, and the flies are going to be gone. See, what's happening here is, is Moses, or excuse me, Pharaoh's relenting. And so Moses is like, yep, I'm going to pray for you, and the flies are going to be gone. Like, it's going to happen. Keep reading. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go offer sacrifices to the Lord. Verse 30. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people, not a fly remained. See, Pharaoh relents. He changes his mind. He's like, okay, you can go. And he says, pray for me. It's like, okay, we will. And sure enough, God comes through. He takes away the challenge. Not a fly remained. But Moses warned him, as Pharaoh has done over and over thus far, it's like, don't change your mind again. Don't act deceitfully. Don't say one thing and then go back on your word. Don't do that. But how does it end? Verse 32, but this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. So we see this story play out that, that Moses and Aaron, they've repeatedly been coming and, and they're going to keep coming each one of these times. This is number four. They've come three times before and, and said, if you don't let the people go, here's what's going to happen. Don't go down this road. Don't go down this path. Like, turn from it and, and go a different way. Like, let the people go. And when you do, like, God's going to relent. He's not going to bring this on you. And sure enough, that's what happens here. But Pharaoh, he, he hardens his heart. He, he doesn't want to let the people go. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But like, right here, you just see him. He's changing his mind. He won't let the people go. And I'm wondering if you're kind of reading all this and you're like, okay, 
this is what God's doing here. Like, what, what, is, what do we need to walk away with this? Like, how do we take something away? And I think here's the first thing. What God is doing in all of this is demonstrating a bit of his identity. He is showing that God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. I think that's the first thing that we're to see in this story. God is a God of justice. He comes in and he's, he's looking at this situation and saying, this is not right. This is evil. You should not be oppressing these people the way that you are. Let them go. Let them go so that they can come worship me. Pharaoh's, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one who's going to do this. And I, no, no, no. You don't get to say, who are you? Who is this God? And he doesn't. And God's like, that's not the way this is going to happen. And so when he's, he's a God of justice. He's going to look at evil and say, I'm putting a limit on what's happening here. That's what's taking place. He's setting limits on the way that evil is playing out. Again, if you've been with us this series, we've looked at Pharaoh a couple of times, and, and we've seen that he, he represents human sinfulness. He represents the way of sin, our, our, our propensity, our desire to do what we decide we want to do, to go our own way. But oftentimes, that's evil. Like, the way that we choose is self-interest and it's selfishness, and we hurt other people. That's exactly what Pharaoh's doing. Sometimes we think of Pharaoh as like, oh, he's this just extreme version, like, oh, I'm nothing like him. Actually, we're very much like him. We can fall into this same trap where we do what we think is right in our own eyes. And Pharaoh is the example of what happens when evil is left unchecked, the extent that it's willing to go. God wants to come in and say, no, it will not run rampant. It will not go like this. God is a God of justice. What is right and what is good, that's what he wants to prevail. And we see in this story, God's going to step in. He's not just going to let evil run rampant. Now, you might hear all this, or you might be familiar with the story, and you might just have that little check, like, yeah, but this seems really harsh. Like, God's doing all of this to, to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians. Like, is that really fair? Is, is that okay? Like, how, how should we feel about this? Because you might feel kind of uncomfortable. And I think it's right. I think we are meant to feel uncomfortable. What, what can we take away? Or what, what's kind of the response to that? Let me tell you about an individual. He's a theologian. His name is Miroslav Volf. And he grew up um, in Croatia, in the Yugoslavia. Now, I don't know if you know your world history all that well, but in the 1990s, Yugoslavia was one country of many different ethnic groups and religions. These all came to like a clash, and there was war that broke out, and devastating war. The country was torn apart by this. There were groups of people who were, were committing genocide. They were attempting to clean out whole groups of people, ethnic cleansing, Murder, rape, pillaging of towns, destroying of properties. Like this, this was just, this was everything. He lived in that country. And, and he came of age and went to seminary and became a theologian during this time. And there was a moment he was asked to reflect theologically on all that was happening in Yugoslavia. And he gave a lecture series, which he eventually turned into a book. It's called Exclusion and Embrace. 
And in it, he addresses this. He looks at this question of what do we do in a context where people are trying to kill each other? How do we forgive in that kind of way? Because I think sometimes we say like, why couldn't God just forgive him? Or or like, why did he have to do it this way? And, And he writes, and I'm paraphrasing here, in a place like that, Yugoslavia, we want a God of justice. We need a God of justice. We need a God who's going to come in and say, this is not okay and something needs to be done. It's in a place like American suburbia where we can arrive at the idea that, oh, like, let's just forgive him. Like, ah, it's not a big deal. Like, we don't need to do this kind of thing. That idea goes to a place like Yugoslavia to die. We need a God of justice who's going to come in and see the evil in the world and do something about it. Because if he doesn't, someone else will. And his whole point was to say, now we can forgive. We can operate in the way of nonviolence. It's because we have a God of justice who's going to deal with evil. We need a God of justice. Evil is not meant to just run rampant. Because when it does, it destroys. God is about life. We need a God who is about life and who's willing to protect it. And that's what's happening here. But I think sometimes we read a story like this and and we're like, ah, but that's not fair. Because I think we identify with Pharaoh. When I was younger, uh, I have a younger brother who's about a year and a half younger, and we fought all the time. Like we were just at each other. Like that's just kind of our pattern. It's just, we were so different and we'd fight. Anytime he got in trouble, I was like, yes, absolutely. He deserves that. Anytime I got in trouble, that's not fair. No, 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 no. And I'd push back. Have you been there? When somebody else is getting the consequence? Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. But when it's our turn? Oh, no, no, that's not fair. We shouldn't do that. I think we read a story like this. And deep down inside, we're we're kind of like, ooh, I I don't want to be on that side of it. This doesn't feel right. I just want to kind of live my life the way it is. But what we really need is a God who's going to keep evil in check. Who's going to look at a place like Yugoslavia and say, no, that's not how this goes. He looks at Egypt, what they were doing to God's people, and said, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. God is a God of justice. And he will make sure that things are put right. That's what we see in this, first, in this story. That's the first thing we're to, to walk out with, I believe. But God is not just a God of justice. He's not a God who's just simply like, okay, we're going to make things right and that's it and we're all done. Like, he's not simply a God of justice. He's more than that. He has another side to him. God is a God of justice, and I think the second thing we need to see is this. God is a God of grace and rescue. God is a God of grace and rescue. So I want to highlight a couple of things. So in this, um, God, you heard me mention that God makes distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. So the flies are, are, you know, they're permeating all the Egyptian land, but not in Goshen where the, the Hebrews live. Like, 
He's making distinction. He is now sparing some people from the consequences. He provides that opportunity. God is a God who wants to make a way for people. He wants to say, like, there's a way out. This does not have to fall on you. And sure enough, that's what happens. The Israelites, they didn't suffer under the consequences of this sign. But what about Pharaoh? It's like they did. The Egyptians did. Like, what happened there? Notice that there are 10 signs. And I highlighted this. If you don't let my people go, then this is going to happen. God is providing opportunity to Pharaoh. Turn from this path. Don't go down this road like this is not the direction you want to go. Turn from it. Let my people go. And this is not going to happen. God is providing opportunity for Pharaoh. He doesn't have to suffer under all of this. He's providing him a way out. That's what this is. Like each time God comes to him with Moses, like, let my people go. And if he does, God relents. And that's what happens. Like Pharaoh, he changes his mind. He's like, okay, fine. Yes, you can go. And what happens? The plague is removed. The sign is removed. God provides a way out. Pharaoh is making his choice. Over and over again, that's what he's doing. He's choosing his path. There's opportunity. God is providing a way out. Now, you're like, well, okay, but God's just showing favoritism to his people and not to the Egyptians. Like, he's offering him, but like, yeah, is that really happening? When the Israelites actually leave, this comes in chapter 11, there's a brief mention that as they're literally on their way out, they're collecting things, people are giving them stuff, and, and it's like, hey, or be, we, be well on your journey. There's a brief little comment that many other people went with them. That word there refers to nations. There are Egyptians who are leaving with them. God is allowing more than just the Israelites to go. Come, worship me, anyone. You will be rolled into this. You will be included. Like, this is an option for everybody. And there's a brief little comment, but like, Egyptians are leaving too. So what God is doing here is he's not showing favor. This is an open invitation for all. Will you take it? He is providing grace. He's providing a way out for anybody who wants it. But notice this. He's willing to do whatever it takes to save his people. Ten chances he gave Pharaoh, but it took ten. Pharaoh just was, was stubborn, and he, would ref, he was refusing, and he wouldn't change his mind. So God's going to do what he's, he has to do to save his people. He made sure the Israelites would be rescued because that's the kind of God he is. He's a God of justice. He's going to deal with evil, but he's a God of rescue and grace, and he's going to go to the furthest extent necessary to make that become a reality. This is who he is. Ten chances Pharaoh had, but he kept digging in his heels further and further until finally, all right, he bent and he let go. And God was able to rescue his people. God will go to the furthest extent. So we see in this story, in the story of the signs, that God's justice and his grace are simultaneously present. But you probably are feeling that tension. It's like these two things don't really seem to go together, right? Like, how does this work? How can God be both gracious and of justice at the same time? It would be years later 
centuries later, that God would actually bring those two things fully together in Jesus. See, Jesus would show up as a new Moses to lead the people out of spiritual slavery. And he would do that by trading places with us. See, in Jesus, it's fully present in him, both grace and justice together. See, he would go to a cross. He would be put on that cross. He would be killed for us in our place. Right here, he is absorbing the consequences, the brokenness of sin. All of that is coming to rest on his shoulders, and he is dying for us. Justice is being served, but not on us. We, we should be in that place. Like We are the ones who perpetuate evil. We go our own way. We do our own thing. We mess things up. And what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to trade places. And I'm going to sacrifice my life for you. I'm going to take all that justice into my body. And I'm going to give you grace. And right there, we see the two things come together. Sin is dealt with and grace is meted out. He gives us grace and forgiveness because justice has been met. That happens on the cross. In his death and resurrection, Jesus brings these two things together. Jesus took all of that weight, all of the brokenness, swallowed it up and destroyed it and gave us grace and forgiveness. That happens in him. He's bringing these two things together fully. Grace, justice in Jesus. That's what he came to do. He came to take this story, the Exodus story, and bring it to its true and complete fulfillment. Evil's dealt with. Grace is met. That happens in Jesus. So we see here opportunity. In the same way that God is coming to Pharaoh and offering him opportunity, we see the same thing for us. There's opportunity here. What is that opportunity? What's the opportunity that this text is pointing us towards? It's this. The call is to turn. The call is to turn. We, we use a church word, this word repentance. You've probably heard it before. That's what it means. Repentance means to turn, to go a different direction. So recently, my family, we were gone last weekend. You might have noticed that. We were on a road trip. We were traveling and just enjoying some time together. Well, you know, I look up. It's like, okay, where do we need to go? I need to plot the course. How do I get there? And most of the time, we just kind of pull out our phones, rely on GPS and that kind of thing, right? Well, let's say I didn't do that. And I'm just like, I'm going where I think it is. But I get on a wrong turn. I go down the wrong interstate. I'm heading the wrong direction. I'm still kind of going south, but maybe not the right direction. What I need to do when I realize that is like, oh, man, I need to go a different way. I'm going to the wrong destination. Like, I'm headed down a road. Like, it seems like it's the right road, but it's not. It's going to take me to the wrong place. And, you know, you could probably get down pretty far before you realize, like, oh, man, I'm going the wrong way. Well, what do you do? You've got to turn. And sometimes even you turn, like, go back the way you came. That is what repentance means. It means to turn. Turn around. Go the other way. What this story is showing us is that Pharaoh, he's on a path. He's choosing the way of sin. He's going to a destination that's not going to be good. It's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to death. It's tearing things apart. God is saying, don't go that way. Turn around. 
Repent, relent, turn. But Pharaoh's not turning. He doesn't want to turn. He doesn't want to leave this destination. He wants to keep going. But the way forward is to turn around and go a different way. And that's what God shows us with the Israelites. What happens is they step into life and life with him. They're made into a nation like this is elevated. This is lifted up. This is the way forward. Egypt is left in ruin. Turn around and go the way of God. Because God is powerful and he is good and he's going to make sure that evil doesn't run rampant. So don't go down the path of evil. Turn. Repent. Turn. That is the call of this story. But let me highlight something for you. There's cost. What is the cost? For Pharaoh, imagine it. He's being asked to do something pretty radical. A couple of things. Number one, this is his labor force. This is the group of people who's building the things that he wants to build. Like, they are his free labor. He's building, they're building up Egypt. Like That's how he's doing it. And that is being ripped away from him. He's being asked to change his whole economic approach. That's a high cost. More than that. Remember the purpose? So that they would be able to worship me? That's why they're, well, God's asking them to be let go? Pharaoh was viewed as a god in human form. He was viewed as divine. They are no longer going to worship you. They're going to worship me. That's what God is saying to Pharaoh. He's asking him to change his mind about who he is, about how the, way, the world works. Like, all of this is being upended. Like, you are now going to live in a different reality than you did before. That is what God is asking. That is the cost. The cost is high. The cost is high. This is not just a simple, like, oh, okay, sure, no big deal. I'll just figure it out. Like, no, my labor force, my way of life, how I view myself, all of that is being changed. That's what God is saying to him. That is the cost of turning. It's changing how you view everything. The cost is high. The cost to not turn is higher. That's what this story wants us to, to see. The cost of not turning, of continuing down this way, while high, it's higher not to turn. Because evil destroys it destroys life, it destroys people, it destroys nations, and God is showing Pharaoh the path you're walking, this is where it's going to go. Destruction. Evil undoes everything. Don't go down that road. I realize it's hard to turn. You've got a lot to unlearn. But if you keep going, it's going to be worse for you. And sure enough, that's what these 10 signs point to. A continuing escalation deeper into evil. So God wants him to see, yeah, the cost to turn is high, but it's even greater not to turn. But Pharaoh, he didn't want to turn. He held on. He dug his heels and he remained stubborn. You might have caught this. He was hard-hearted. Now, I do want to take a brief pause and, and kind of explore this for a moment. Because you're probably wondering, if you know the story, you're like, okay, what's the, what's the deal with this? Like, Pharaoh... He's hard-hearted. In our, in our sign here, the story we read, it said that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. There are one or two places where it says that God hardened his heart. So you're kind of like, what's that all about? Here's my response. 
God was not doing to Pharaoh anything Pharaoh did not already choose. Pharaoh decided this was the path that he wanted to walk on. What God is doing is he's accelerating him down that path and bending it to his purpose. You see, there's two words that are used when that phrase hard-hearted or he made his heart hard. There's two words in Hebrew that's used here. One, when Pharaoh uses it often, not every time, but most of the time, it says he hardened his own heart. It's a word that means choosing to do evil. I'm hardening my heart and I'm, I'm bent on the wrong thing. It's like this malicious sort of, uh, that's what the word means. There are a few other times that it says he hardened his own heart. It's a different word. And the one, the couple of times that God uses it, it says resolve. He resolved his heart. It's almost like he, he built up his courage. And this word can be used for good or evil. Like I can resolve to do good. I can bolster up my courage to do good. That's what it says when God's hardened his heart. He made him more resolved. Pharaoh had the choice. You can go this way or that. Pharaoh chose that. And his hardening was becoming more and more stubborn about the wrong thing. God was creating opportunity. He's giving him resolve. He's giving him courage and boldness. And he used it for the wrong thing. So what we see here is not God doing something that Pharaoh didn't want to do. It's not like God came in and say, you know, okay, I'm going to override your will and I'm going to do what you don't want. Pharaoh was already choosing this. God just helped him continue to walk the path at times. He gave him plenty of opportunities to turn. Did you see that? Like 10 times, like, if you let my people go. But Pharaoh just kept walking down that road. He hardened his own heart. He became stubborn. He believed he was right. God was showing him that he wasn't but he didn't want to listen. So God didn't do anything to coerce Pharaoh. He was simply allowing him to continue on the path that he was already on. So that's what's happening with this hard-heartedness. Now you might be wondering, it's like, is that me? Like, am I hardening my own heart? And am I walking down a road that I realize I don't really want to be on and am I just not listening? Ezekiel 36 It says years and years after uh, the uh, exodus and Israel's been a nation and they've messed things up on their own. Uh, This whole thing doesn't doesn't solve the problem. And so what does God say? He's like, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to take out your heart of stone, your hard heart, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. What Jesus is offering is a truly soft heart. God provides the way for us to avoid hard-heartedness. We don't have to be locked into this anymore. We can receive a soft heart. That's what Jesus does. He provides that opportunity where we can now have a soft heart. So, the call is to turn. And if I were to capture this all, like, here it is. It's turn to God. For he is a God of justice and grace. He is both gracious and just. This is who he is. And we see that in this story. You see, God wants to come in and he wants to provide us a way out. How do we do that? This is the opportunity. We turn to him. We don't go down this road anymore, but rather we turn around and we go the way of God. So the one takeaway I have for you today is this. It's simply to turn Turn to God. In the, in the eighth plague, the locusts, 
Moses uses some additional words when he's talking to Pharaoh and, and God's speaking through him and he says, how long will you not humble yourself before me? How long will you resist me? Where is that for you? Where do you detect a little bit of lack of humility, being stubborn, kind of stuck? Maybe that's a place where God can bring in a soft heart for you to help you turn. Invite him to do so. Maybe you've never made that initial choice. Like you're still trying to figure out Jesus and you're like, I'm not sure if I can trust him. Like you haven't actually made that first turn. You can right now. I hope this story shows you that God is good and just. He's going to do the right thing. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that's true, but he does. Remember from last week, like things weren't looking better when Moses shows up. It got worse. Like we were called to trust him. So take that step of trust. You can do that right now. You can do that today. I say, like, all right, I want to try, try this. I want to turn. I want to turn towards you, Lord. I'm begin walking that way, and he will help you. It's a journey. It's not going to be perfect. But just know that he wants to walk with you. But many of us have made that choice already. We've taken that turn before. But don't you know it? Over and over again, we kind of like going this way. Certain areas of our life, we see, still keep walking that way. We can turn afresh over and over and in particular ways back to him. So will you? Will you turn? Where is there a lack of humility? Where is there challenge? Where are you resistant? Invite the Lord, like, show me. and Show me how to turn because he will. He absolutely will. He wants to give us opportunity to come to him. So, God is a God of justice. These things that we see in the world, the evil around us, racism, oppression, greed, these are all things he's going to deal with. But these are on the map. He's going to deal it in our own individual lives. You've been passed up over a promotion because someone else just is more of a favorite. They're more outgoing, like, injustice. There's brokenness in relationship. You're, you're at home and you feel like you're struggling, just can't make ends meet, like brokenness. God is going to deal with all of that. He is a God of justice. And he's a God of grace. He's going to meet us right where we are. He provides this opportunity. He's going to help us walk the path towards him. So, will we turn to him? Will we choose his path? Are we going to walk the way of sin? Are we going to walk the way of God? Choose God. Turn to him because he is just and gracious. 